0: And welcome to A Guide to Trusting Brains in the Revolution. It's all guide all the time on the airwaves. My name is Adam Vass, game designer in Glendale, California.
1: And my name is Will Guide. I'm in Los <laughs> Angeles, California, Glendale. Adam and I are in the same place. We're we're three staring, feet away from... We're <laughs> staring <laughs> right down the barrel <laughs> of a fellow yeah, brain we're, we're very close. We're very close personally, professionally, <laughs> and physically the three p's of closeness (laughs) uh yeah this is only the second
0: episode of the podcast we've ever made in real life and the first was in worcester (laughs) in worcester
1: mass we're in the opposite of worcester mass there's a lot of similarities i would say between la and worcester yeah number one adam's here number two (laughs) will's
0: visiting uh when you asked to do stuff that was far away from here i i almost said glendale is the worcester of la <laughs> and then i was like i can't take that back if i say that it's not no, true
1: glendale is the providence of la okay yeah that's better <laughs> i'll take it there's probably an observatory there i liked providence all right yeah, providence is great <laughs> hey no shade on providence it's just that in the course of one day you see everyone who lives in providence yep it's over uh, they do. They do and river fire. Do you know about this? They set the river on fire. Yeah, once a year they set the whole river on fire. I'm not joking. It's How? like a guy whose name is like Dr. Von Riverfire. Fire. So it's art, art. It's art, art. Yeah, you, <laughs> art. <laughs> oh. They they, uh, they have like Viking ships or uh, sailboat stuff, and they light the river blue with fire, blue fire, um, and people like freak out they totally not for this beautiful river on fire (laughs) okay (laughs) so i don't know if la is anything quite that there's no water here there are fires here uh we were driving around uh downtown and i kept on asking adam to pull out onto the la river because i've seen every car (laughs) chase nearly grabbing
0: the steering wheel to get that car i just watched the gold cobra music video from limp biscuit begins with them (laughs) driving a car in the la river
1: pretty cool right don't you want to do it uh do you you know fred right you could get fred to show us
0: how he did it i have more than you think fred durst's like reality (laughs) stories (laughs) (laughs) like not directly they're all friends of friends and shit but he's not that far away he
1: climbs out of a big toilet right he's a cool dude he just directed a movie called fanatic
0: yeah um some of my friends watched it here on my Amazon account so I have the receipt but I never saw it. (laughs) They watched it when I was on tour and I was like, we're not going to watch it a second time. Like I know that no one enjoyed it enough to watch it twice so I'm not going to watch it by myself. I I just
1: heard that in its opening weekend made (laughs) (laughs) $3,000. Three
0: Um, large. I mean it doesn't seem like a movie that cost a lot to make aside from the fact that like John Travolta Travolta was the, was the
1: lead. And they had to hire people to be in it. Sure, and they had to pay for film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's no way it was shot on real film. Yeah, it's not the Criterion. Question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they shot that shit the on everybody's remaster. phone. <laughs> Director's cut. We have the hit behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, this is the new LA version of the podcast. We talk about movies, yeah, film, the film. industry. We talk about TV. Uh, yeah, Adam and I have been hanging out. We went to uh, Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be. We went to a store <laughs> named Necromance, which had bones but not tarot cards. Um, Adam bought a skull. Yeah. And when we played Guide, which we'll talk about later this episode, Adam folded the rule rulebook uh, by using a real bone folder, real skull folder. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I, I
0: printed the zine out, and then I was like, oh, I need to crease this seam. And I have a skull here. There, a, there's, there's like a, term, a bronze <laughs> resin skull. There's a term, like bone folder is a tool. And I, Are they like actually made from bone? Yes, or like some is made that from a, bones. That you use to just like crease folds. And so I was like, oh, I'll just use this skull. But it's a half skull. It doesn't have a jawbone. And it didn't occur to me that, of course, this skull is molded by, after a real human skull. And using the teeth does what you would do with human teeth, which is just... <laughs> gnash the paper just like the seam <laughs> <laughs> is chewed yeah. and uh yeah then i realized i would use the smooth top part of the skull to just,
1: to fold the rest of the crease and that was great it was good adam taught me about skulls when he was doing it it was very good very informative oh,
0: yeah there's more bones than you think yeah
1: i thought it was one big smooth <laughs> big beautiful huge bone uh
0: yeah. yeah so now i own a skull and that's uh an achievement unlocked. I can't believe you didn't own a skull before. I have looked into buying real ones. And then I was also like, what the fuck? Like, I don't need that. And also, the kind of person who owns a human skull faces obstacles. <laughs> <laughs> You have to explain that to everyone who sees it, and where you got it, and how it was, like, sourced, because that's a whole thing, too. That's only Um, if you have one skull. How much money you spent on it, and how you justify that? If you have ten skulls, no one asks any fucking questions about your skulls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because the shop had other human bones, too, but it would be, like, an arm bone, like a forearm, and that was, like, four to six hundred dollars. Yeah, arm bone famously connected to the leg bone. (laughs) Uh hand the hand bone uh, the leg bone goes the, on our... the skull on that like price scale because like nobody wants a forearm or like nobody's excited to see a forearm so yeah the skull has got to be at least a couple gr- a couple grand a couple large a, a true
1: skull a yeah because true... they, they were like victorian female skull and i was like i don't really i don't know how much about that i need to know right look <laughs>
0: i just <laughs> so, well they were cast all the ones in the cabinet were cast yeah. so they weren't real i don't think they had any real skulls and then the sign also said it is illegal to sh- to sell real human organs like preserved and stuff because there was also like animal hearts in jars and stuff wow. you could get like a turkey heart for 40 dollars or something god
1: but no human organs al- don't even ask did you know the skull is the largest human organ That's not true. (laughs) It's it's got a brain in there. It's eyes.
0: I'm sure that enough people asked for particular things that they had to put the sign up, which is dark.
1: Yeah. Like, do you... You got any kidneys on (laughs) eyes? Like, what do you think is a popular human organ that you're not using medically? Like, that you just are collecting? The heart for cosmetics. For just, like, you know, like... Because they're all in formaldehyde
0: in a jar. And I think that's really the only one... heart and brain are the only ones that are, like, aesthetically... Interesting eyes. at all? Eyes are pretty good. Oh, true.
1: Got eye in a jar.
0: Yeah, I didn't consider that as an organ. A but tongue I, too would be I, weird. I have four eyes. But think. <laughs> as a, uh, think of, like, a liver. I don't even know what a liver looks like. It's just like a blob. Yeah. A lot of organs. But yeah, are it's just like blobs. A livers like a, a red triangle. So they're probably all the all the blob <laughs> organs are in loading. <laughs>
1: Here are the three classes of organs. Blobs. Aesthetically pleasing organs. Gross organs. I would argue that... Uh, bladder class. All the other
0: ones are also gross.
1: <laughs> the bladder class organs. But could you, like, buy a hand at a store? Does that count as an organ? No. I don't know why I'm asking you. I don't know <laughs> if you know. I don't know, but I know a hand's not an organ, because a hand
0: is just, like, a collection of... Yeah, hand's not an organ. We can agree. But then there's people who are, like, skin is... Because... Skin is the largest organ, or whatever. It's right. Actually, the skull. That's but
1: the, I will agree to disagree. Uh,
0: I respect. I not only respect you. I respect your opinion. To so, does any unit of skin count? Like this is ph- philosophical. Yeah. You know when you have the the Grateful Dead's van and you replace a tire, and then you're like, is it still the same van? And then oh no, the engine blew. You have to, this was the example in my philosophy class when I took college.
1: If you they replaced... didn't fucking say the ship of Theseus. They Ooh, were like... a literal Grateful Dead. Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, brother. It's <laughs> the Grateful Dead van. And
0: you're following it around, and you're watching the pieces fall off and get replaced. And at what point is this van no
1: longer the well, van? That, that that doesn't track, though, because the Grateful Dead is always still in the van. Right? Are they saying, like, you replace Jerry with John Mayer? I
0: mean, that's the thing, too.
1: Yeah. Like... Uh,
0: think of a band that has no original members yeah are they the same band it's just a yeah yeah, it's a more the band (laughs) of theseus if you have one unit of skin on a hand yeah is is the skin an organ and thusly illegal to sell
1: i'm just looking at my hands now so yeah this is uh this is our podcast (laughs) (laughs) where we only talk about our game a guide to casting phantoms in the revolution Uh, I w- took dragged Adam to the Broad, which was really cool. Um, yeah. And Adam taught me everything about Warhol screen printing, which was really cool. And then we designed two Andy Warhol games I for was a split. Thinking about that last night, I told Erica about it when we were falling
0: asleep. Is it good when you? That's yeah, like how the, you know if a game is good. Um, I didn't well I didn't detail the game like functions. Yeah. Because I know she doesn't care. <laughs> but the concept of like we made these games and then we're like, what if they were a screen-printed poster like Andy makes? Like, like, our, like our good bud Andy. The inspo. Uh, <laughs> and that was a cool... <laughs> but but then also I told her, like, oh, then uh, Will inspired me to, like, apply for this artist residency, but the applications closed five months ago, so I guess I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you could have. I could next year. I mean, now it's a thing that's a, that I know exists and I am kn- interested in and I also think yeah, something so the residency was at a print shop here and they teach and facilitate screen printing and risograph printing. And screen printing is something I did for many years before my game life. Mm-hmm. And Rhizo's printing riso printing is something I'm interested in now and just starting starting to learn about. But any of a couple riso projects
1: that are just super good.
0: And, uh, yeah, I've learned how to set up the art and stuff, but yeah. actually, like operating the machine, I guess would be the next step, and having access to a machine because they're not. Lo- loving the machine, <laughs> getting to know the machine. Yeah, becoming close. Dude. Becoming close. Um, and so this place offers Men loving a, an artist residency where you get like a stipend for supplies, and you screen print and risograph all the shit you want for like two months, and then at the end you have a display, mm-hmm. um, like an exhibition. And I think it's primarily for zinesters, and I think uh, maybe I can't tell the distinction of like stuff on the wall versus stuff on the rack, True. what they're looking for. Yeah. But either way, something like this would function as both.
1: Right, and then your game is like so interesting because it was using our buddy Andy and his like actual techniques for photo, and uh, you, you put it really well. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to give it all away. Oh, uh, you s- can
0: tease. I'm going to sell this poster. <laughs> yeah, people are going to buy the poster. So, um, Right? A really <laughs> Looking at you. Hey, look at your iPod. Right? A really interesting thing okay, of how iPod. Andy Warhol uh, printed is like parsing the different ink layers and reiterating the same piece many times, but either like using the same screen more than once or omitting screens or... Uh, a lot of the time he'll he'll have this like photo reproduction that was half tones and it was black ink that would go on top to make yeah. it look
1: like the photo. We were looking at a... Adam was explaining this to me while we were looking at the Marilyn Monroe piece. Yeah, there was two side by side and you could see these distinctions
0: where like this one uses the photo reproduction to reproduce the shape of her hair and this one adjacent to it Andy Warhol or again this is something we didn't tap into because it's weird and I don't super get the studio. Yeah. The people he told to do his bidding. Yes. Um, yeah. You have the photo reproduction reprodu- of the shape of Marilyn Monroe's hair in one screen. But then in the other piece, instead of using that same screen, all the other screens were the same. Um, there was one that approximated the shape of her hair that was clearly done with like black acrylic paint on a photo sensitive screen. So when you burn that screen and you wash it off, you have a new shape that's close to or inspired by the original, but has this painterly kind of like more, I was going to say more organic. It can't really be more organic than her literal hair being reproduced. Which yeah, is, but it,
1: it's like, like materials organic. Yeah. yeah.
0: And you can even see a lot of the brush strokes being reproduced through the screen. And it's really interesting and unique. And I think there's something to knowing the printmaking process that makes those things interesting and special that a lot of people and and andy warhol's such an interesting case study too because i wonder about artists who enter the like everyday Mm -hmm. it's like guys like what do people what do normies think is cool about andy warhol's work it's probably not this oh he replaced the third layer of screen with a different third layer in this six layer print yeah it's like look
1: at these cans (laughs) look at (laughs) these big luscious cans and then yeah your game I I won't uh I won't sell the cow whatever um but but you
0: have a story that exists as screens effectively yeah. you have a six layer screen print so you have a six beat story but you retell it by replacing or modifying existing screens so again in that example Marilyn's hair is the third out of six so then it's your story you look at it and it's sort of like a a microscope um, where you have like a timeline or events or something, and then, oh, instead of here at stage three out of six, mm. um, actually, now that I'm like digging in and trying to explain it, m- maybe it's more like subjectivity of history, too, right because like yeah. this event happens, and everyone knows it happened this way. But maybe that perspective changes from, either someone who is there or someone who studies it in a different way has different information. Yeah. And like informed by worldview or context. So you still have the arc, the narrative arc that is screens one through six, Mm -hmm. but three instead of being the photo reproduction is now the brushstroke reproduction. Mm -hmm. And any combination of these screens, uh, puts out the same final product, but they each have these unique tweaks to them that make them, standalone and then also seeing them all next to one another it creates this like meta piece of like which one is the real one which one is the best one uh and because they're layered they inform each other right and yeah it's definitely something i'm probably going to play with and uh put more timely work
1: on the back burner to chase <laughs> yeah and it's cool like i love approaching games from like like literally materials science and like shit like this so that's great my game was uh, you your Valerie Solanus just go out and blame an Andy Warhol and that's it um, so yeah we'll take a little break and then we'll come talk about we have some listener questions uh, because this is our like six month anniversary episode or whatever sure and uh, <laughs> it, did you not get me anything <laughs> uh,
0: I forgot I thought we were waiting for that? the one year to do like a big thing What uh, we talked about them
1: welcome back to the brain trust podcast I'm still Will and I'm still in LA. It's great to be back. I just looked up, took pictures of palm trees, and Adam had to be like, You dork, stop doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have some questions from listeners, personal questions, personal projects. Um, and yeah, a lot of people said nice stuff about uh, what the podcast means to them and like on their own journey. And that's amazing and special. And thank you. Yeah, it's um.
0: I don't look at or even remember that I can look at there any like data on listenership for the show, so we always just make it and then it's sort of like a like an itch game. It just exists in a vacuum, and yeah. it's rare to get feedback. But then you do, and you're like, oh, that's great, hey, uh, and then so we said, hey, we're recording in in person again. Who has questions? Uh, and got feedback <laughs> yeah that was like, uh, and it's... that was like oh cool this is people are actually like listening and paying attention and then also you ever every, once in a while you'll find you'll get that from someone who genuinely like didn't know would listen to the show or yeah. like why would why would they yeah and then they do and that's like extra cool too they listen because it's very good that's why we're uh, professionals
1: did they not hear the Andy Warhol game
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just gave that to you in theory for free yeah well yeah no mechanics so you just you know you got to play it from what I just
1: described. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, what, a copy by Warhol. The game rules <laughs> are, all, exist also as this like shifting screen layer. Like, yeah. Can't really track me. Well, they can sign up to your fucking Patreon. And, and oh, that's that. a great Patreon game, yeah. too. See? Um, yeah, so we got we got a question from Tyler. Um, how hackable do you think Phantoms will be? For example, running a different time period, or is it inseparable from a setting, in your opinion? And what would you want, guided by Phantoms Games, to be? Uh, at like having drafted like the end of the book where I'm like, "Hey, uh, you can use this for other stuff. Here's like the molecules of the game, um, and you know, just shoot us an email, and we can just double check that you're not making a fucking game about fascists. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's cool. But um, you you had your first experience with it last night. You played it for the first time. Yes, I did. It was my seventh time. <laughs> so you're well-versed. Um,
0: before I get into like my... Or like a play report or anything. Yeah. To directly like tackle... So I've been wondering this or thinking about it. Not necessarily specifically about guide. But just about games in general. And hacking. Is how much of something do you steal or <laughs> borrow... <laughs> for, it to steal. <laughs> for it to be considered a hack. Or like... At, at what point... Because I think a lot of it is a marketing thing, especially when you put the like guided by phantoms little image or, or compatible with this game or inspired by this game. Right when for
1: for people that aren't uh, that don't know, hacking is when you take a existing game and you repurpose some of the rules, um, so you have a shared assumption with another game or work and how the other one should work. So for example, the biggest one. Um, other than like the system that powers D anD D, which is a, a dice twenty system that was like super popular in the nineties, it's like Apocalypse World and powered by the Apocalypse, and there are nine billion amazing Apocalypse World games, and it just puts you inside of a movement, an artistic movement, and a canon, and most of all, easy to learn because players already know it.
0: Yeah, powered by the Apocalypse is like a very, extremely common hack, and I think in general the thing that people take from Apocalypse World to integrate into their own is the core dice resolution Mm. of 2D6 and then success, partial success, and failure. Also, the whole concept of the conversation is the game and you do moves when they are triggered to further the narrative, and that's when dice happen. Um, So those two things. And I guess probably the latter is truthfully more important, but definitely, like, first, all the early wave... PBTA stuff also lifts the dice thing. From a player's standpoint, you're touching the dice in the same way. Right. Yeah. So that seems clear to me as like a... We took A and B, we lost C and D, and then we made our own thing that stands alone but uses something that's both familiar enough to you as Mm -hmm. a player that you want to engage with it in a meaningful way. And takes... some burden away from us as designers from coming up with whole cloth mechanical systems. Yeah, uh,
1: it's like the Grateful Dead's car. <laughs> so, but you can, but
0: you can <laughs> reinterpret, or you can shift numbers, or you can say, you know, like hacking isn't limited to cut and pasting by it at all. So that that's, oh, that's kind of what I'm getting into, saying, you know, you don't use the dice mechanic. You have the conversation is the game. You don't have moves. At what point are you making a new thing inspired by X and no longer a hack of X? And I think this is some inside baseball designer talk shit that like most people won't care about or, or, uh, Like, I don't think a player, that distinction matters. Unless you see on the cover, this is powered by a system of a game that I already
1: enjoy, and then that makes me want to buy it. I I think about it in this one particular way. I did this with Black Mass, where you uh, have this engine, and you build a car around it. Or, otherwise, you have this shell, and then you put an engine inside of it um, to, to make it go. So, Black Mass, early days, started as a fucking Savage Worlds game. And uh I just like put all this tarot stuff on top of it and then slowly when we got more comfy with the system and the world and what we wanted to do just replaced piece by piece um more elements. It was like combining Bluebeard's bride and this other stuff. So once I got familiar with everything enough and confident in my own voice, I was able to just uh go fucking wild with it. So uh yeah, it goes back to like, you know, what you were saying of when is it like what do you steal when do you steal it and for the example of guide what will the guided by phantoms games bring um and it'll go i mean i i, I talked about in the discord it you can find more details there but like the game is told in chapters it's a troop style game with a giant cast so those are the two things that the game like on an elemental level is you setting up potential energy with summoning these phantoms and then you set scenes to resolve everything and find out what happens. Yeah,
0: I think too there are aspect there are like I don't know I didn't count <laughs> should uh, but there's like a handful of different unique systems that interlock in guide and I think even using one or two of them, could constitute as like a guided by phantoms game like even just like i exist on this node between two waves uh in our game it is i exist on the slice between two wedges (laughs) and in each wedge is a card of symbols and i use those to craft my scene yeah right and ours is in a pentagram because it's awesome and flavorful but even if you if you had a plus sign and you had each corner of this diamond was your player points and each axis in between was your scene prompt. Yeah. That to me is like, oh, you took this, well, not took, you know, you you were inspired by our thing and then you made a thing that's different but clearly tied to. Yeah. And like, that's, uh, that's guided by phantoms. But similarly, if you had, we're gonna use a shit ton of dice to generate a problem and then use the next however many scenes to try to tackle it and then at the end of that number see where we did yeah um that's guided too yeah you know like there's all these different things about the game that are unique that are hackable and expandable and it's super modular which is something that i think is great our game exists as four or five novel modular systems that all tie together mm-hmm. but if another designer used one or two of them. It would still function in unique ways that ca- to me would count as inspired by or in a, in, a, like in a friendly way
1: is derivative of the work that we did. Yeah, I was even... So I woke up early today because I am from the East Coast <laughs> and I, I'm a different breed. I'm a different man. <laughs> um, and I folded about 9 billion pentagrams and I'm just looking at them for a while and wondering what like a full tarot version of this game would be. So... In playtests at home, we used tarot cards for the character cards, and it like worked awesomely. Um, in in the box version, uh, which you got right here, one here the box. Great, gratefully. <laughs> um, uh, the character cards are uh have two ends like a playing card, where you can choose two different characters and like um, the like the king's card yeah, or like the, the royalty the, cards the face in it. cards, yeah out. yeah and so you get this like that's cool. what they're called face card the king I, cards! in all of
0: my games i always call them the royalty cards that's cool
1: you want But be, it's not a, um, you like I'm, be I'm realizing dissimilar. right now,
0: i'm realizing now i fucked it up for like 8 games that you that <laughs> and it wasn't a flavor choice it was just like these are what these are called right i'm not going to look it up royalty cards
1: <laughs> you wanted a more cl- a class distinction sure. between the it seem like higher higher cards. power things yeah yeah and doesn't that <laughs> say something about society you yeah. <laughs> uh, should call them the
0: oligarch cards so on that level too i think there's a lot of space for what what tyler said too where it's like you could play this in a different timeline yeah. with the same exact box i wouldn't necessarily call that a hack or i would maybe call that just like expansion or like additional content for the core game
1: check this out you got uh all the scene cards are the same yes but you replace all of the character cards with baseball cards and you play the world series and every (laughs) but every every game because they're like you know there's seven games of world series baseball fans get at me the demon comes and says i'll let you win this game do this for me no no demons like the game itself is the summoning thing and then
0: no 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 no, no demons? demons. It's a
1: pure. It's a pure <laughs> baseball game, but you, you're just you're using cards and you're setting like, uh, you're playing the the baseball game happens, a match of baseball happens, and then you play the in between moments in the dugout between uh, games, talking to the other team, whatever. You got this big cast of characters, a whole baseball team, and you're using like literal baseball cards, and you're moving around and doing the stuff, and shit happens in games and whatever, so. It can be as small and protean and simple as a baseball game or a huge, like the French Revolution, or you could do, I don't know, you could just be wizards, uh, hawking tarot cards telling the future of like their family lineages or something, or...
0: I'm wanting to, also I mentioned my uh, my Chemical Romance Black Parade. Yes! Expansion. And it'll just Hit gonna, it! <laughs> it's just going to be like a dozen new cards that you can mix in with the existing deck. And probably, like, a card-sized zine. Like, it won't take... So, um, there's also the function of you roll a bunch of dice, and then it generates your phantom, and then you get to, like... There's some freedom in that. Which is a
1: piece of, like, game text that you find, and it has, like, a paragraph, and then a couple things you do to set up the game. Um, To
0: me, an expansion is... uh, a, a, A cool expansion could be as easy as, here's a dozen new phantoms, here's a dozen new cards... You mix them with the existing content yeah. because you have, you know, 12, 12 cards isn't that many. There's 32 in the box, 16 characters that are double-sided and 16 symbols that have three symbols. So like, there's a lot going on, uh, but mixing those with just like, here's five more symbol cards, right? But these symbols are more, it's your booster pack, booster yeah, pack, yeah. exactly. Booster pack expansion content, uh, here's a little pamphlet that tells you a couple dice tables to like overlap or if you want to play this other particular experience yeah. using the same thing. Uh, and that's cool to me. That's again, plays with like the modular nature of the game. If you take this wheel off and put a motorcycle wheel on it.
1: Yeah. Like the the game functions on an elemental scene setting level and stuff. And you, you, you were mentioning that like you were listening, MCR came on and you were listening to the black parade and you are like, This is working. Like, Uh, what was your pitch for the Black Parade game?
0: I was just—it just came on shuffle the other day while I was driving, and the song "Welcome to the Black Parade," uh, and there's a there's a lyric in it that was just like that stuck up to me as because I had Guide on the brain that was like, uh, "I'm gonna botch it," and there's gonna be a fan who listens like "Eh." it was something like, uh, "Will you like lead the?" people or whatever to defeat your demons and the non-believers and i was like okay so the demons won are like we cast them and then now they're in charge and like we have the the revolution is now against this demonic force yeah like it's it's
1: flipping the assumptions of
0: the game to tease what we'll probably get into the idea again of like this doesn't happen on the terrestrial plane Mm -hmm. Um, when we played last night and we had these scenes that were taking place in like the spirit realm, I'm picturing Black Parade kind of exists in between realms and like the revolution isn't
1: earth history, right? Mm -hmm. It's like spirit history. It's something that you can... Yeah, the the idea of like the frequency of revolution is something that you can tune into. Yes. Yeah.
0: And uh, the people in power are different and thusly you need different tools to combat that um then you have you know a handful of different characters that would combine with or like because of the way setup works you get choices and you get to assign flavor that doesn't exist to these pictures yeah um so the combination of like new art and existing characters you just like would make it would just work you would just make it work yeah uh and that's really great and that's just like the first thing that came from a brain fart while i was driving yeah Like, like there's so much potential for, you know, the booster uh, expansions to make Guide super versatile, but still being a really specific and effective storytelling tool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because, you, you know, you're pulling from scene cards and you've got tons of characters. And yeah, it felt really good. You said something after the game last night. We'll, we'll talk, we'll take a break and talk about like the actual game, but how felt like it felt like several seasons of a prestige tv show instead of a movie yes and that's something that in other games you get over the course of months and in this game it felt like i mean it was like we played for three hours two two and a half three hours yeah i think three with setup yeah um so yeah uh but we're, we're gonna take a quick break and then come back i'm gonna go like look at the la sun and i'm gonna come back and just get <laughs> real blessed out Welcome back to the Brain Trust Podcast. We're a different breed. We're a different
0: breed, <laughs> different man. Uh, so last night we played a guide to
1: casting phantoms in the Revolution.
0: Yes. As mentioned, it was my first and Will's eight thousandth time. <laughs> I I play
1: test a lot. When it's something like this,
0: yeah. Anyway. Yeah, this is different because we've. I don't know. We probably talked about playtesting. testing. It's a and different, different
1: breed. Dude, it's
0: a different man. <laughs> I don't play test unless, but. I don't play test a postcard game that I send out. Exactly. You know, like yeah. a 200 word RPG or something. Yeah. I don't think those require it, and I think the nature of making it is maybe just maybe more important than the actual game itself. But these games, bigger games, games that people care about, both we and people who are uh, beholden to it, um, and games like this that are
1: novel, yeah. uh, require way more it's exactly. got to have that clarity in the whole thing we played with brain trust and discord phenoms megan and uh jason and they came over to adams and yeah we played for about half an hour we summoned uh three phantoms um it was extremely good uh in this game it's very fun to just sit back and watch people call scenes and then being a more minor character in a scene and then handling it that way um but yeah, we started by creating our cabal, which was called uh, Bridge Walkers, and we had this like magic book called Modem that had all the rules for summoning phantoms. And another group had the first half of the book, and we had the second half. And you know, we take out to initiate new members in the group, we take a page out of the book and give it to them to study and mark up and everything.
0: Yeah, the groups or the idea of these like book wielding barrier crossing groups was a timeless entity to like existed before and long after the french revolution and we were just playing this chapter of it that existed in this time frame which is really cool too because then you have this like implied lore to the group and to the like the magic that yeah they mess with the book and all that um which we like don't really touch on in play but like even just having in the back of my head was cool to think about.
1: Yeah. So in the beginning of the game, you create the cabal with these short questions that you then discuss. And so this one, uh, like we totally invented this book and the people that use it and everything like that. Um, but at the same time you're creating this cast of characters and indicating characters during answers. And so like, as far as the juicy play report, uh, we summoned our first demon. Um, there was a malfunction, and it swapped places with another uh, player or a character in the cabal. And... and that is one of the like
0: starter scenarios, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that was wild. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it wasn't shocking the idea of like possession being on the table, or or you know like the the um complications of messing with the magic you're messing with which is yeah. something i like in magic in games in general yeah. right magic shouldn't be just for funsies wizards know all the shit from books and it's like cool to do should always be dangerous you're fucking with stuff you don't yeah. understand it,
1: magic's a gun that you gotta...
0: <laughs> and this i mean even the second chapter which we'll get to has complications <laughs> yeah from what you think are boons mm. uh it, so the idea of body sw- swapping or possession or anything wasn't shocking but watching it play out was like almost gross but in like a it was cool it was really um, yeah,
1: like we as players knew what was happening and we got to be the characters discovering and playing Exactly and the the
0: sort of I guess this was it dramatic irony when yeah. you know something that the characters don't know yes, and you yeah uh, and it was really effective and it also because you have these dice on card sleeves and pieces of paper and stuff that are basically, like, timers or time bombs, kind yeah, of. Yeah, like. exactly. Um, you can foresee the problem if you don't do something, <laughs> if you don't act on it. Um, yeah, you're like, you can see the crash trajectory of these characters. So that... it's an extra level of dramatic irony. if yeah. not just, like, we know that this person is not in their own body, but we also know four scenes from now... That like something catastrophic is going to happen, <laughs> yeah. and, and it, I think that's a really great thing in um, story games in general. I talk about it a lot because I think it's one of my favorites and most effective. But Fiasco has this with the when you have a, a finite number of dice and you know the tilt is going to happen, and then you have a finite number of dice or scenes, I guess, and then the end happens. That it leads to players pacing in a much more natural and effective way. Mm-hmm. 'Cause you don't end up with the last scene of the chapter is just like we went out for lunch. Yeah. You know, like you know it's the last scene, you planned for it for the last four scenes, and it builds up and pays off or has a cliffhanger or whatever you choose to do with yeah, it. It's just gonna be big. It's yeah. it and it feels good as a, a story tool to have the arcs be arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was one of the most effective aspects of Guide is having um, not necessarily the timeline because I think there's potential for like timeline play going back and forth, doing flashbacks, that sort of thing. Yeah. We, we did a little bit, but we didn't, we, we mostly stuck to a linear progression or like things happening simultaneously uh, more in like, again, how I picture a movie. Uh, but when we have the takeaway, when we have all the information and seeing how it functions again, in a modular way, you can do, one chapter you could do eight chapters you could yeah make it campaign really yeah you just
1: add additional
0: chapters you add so. chapters and you do you go home in between
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh it's so much more versatile in that way but it uh we mentioned it feels like prestige television mm-hmm. uh it could be a, a three episode miniseries <laughs> on hpo yeah exactly. but you could do four seasons too and the way that the stories work, it's like watching or engaging with episodic stories, um, but you don't have to engage with every episode, or you could stay in one for a particularly long time if it was extremely satisfying in whatever way, yeah, and, and like it. you get to control how
1: in-depth each thing is. Exactly, so on, on that last point, we our first chapter was like... Um, significantly longer than our second because we were just investigating what it was like having this new character to the group switch bodies with the phantom and then just walk through hell. And so like we had a lot of parallel scenes where this character was in the unseen world experiencing uh, what like his body was handling and doing and all those machinations and plotting. And the second uh phantom that we summoned was a phantom called named Debris who gave a gift to several characters which was to give them like the power of entropic sight so they could look at something and it would decompose until it bore this like weird fruit that we brewed into fucking wine and called freak wine and And, dosed the populace yeah like a military parade yeah and it got extremely (laughs) midsummer plus like revolutionary fervor stuff and that one was really cool because I called the first scene and just had one of the characters take off a blindfold and then vaporize the whole army. And then it was like, well, what do we do now? Yeah. Like, you can basically uh, put all your chips in every single scene. Yeah. (laughs) And then just see where they fall. Where the cards fall, where the chips lie. (laughs) The cubes lie. The cubes. There are four types of cubes.
0: Your home. Home. Dice. Dice. The phone charger. (laughs)
1: And boxes, and, bo- <laughs> and movies, several movies about cubes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we played for about three hours, including setup. Um, it is just so cool because a lot of the game involves you uh, putting down on paper things that people have done in the game. So you're just you're just given this shelf of cool things that you did during the game. Yeah, you have your yearbook.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at the end of all the characters and what they did and how you'll remember them, kind yeah. of. Yeah, uh, including the phantoms too, because they are effectively characters, but they just operate in a very different way and have clearly. They have as much power as you will, want to give them, yeah. but generally, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of the focus. Well, a focus of the game is that the phantoms are there.
1: Yeah, and uh, when you. You, you decide how many chapters you want to do while you're playing um, and when you come to the last series of scenes you summon the final phantom which is called Hypothesis and then you ask questions of the characters and of the world and then answer it while you're putting the game away.
0: Yeah, it's this n- nice kind of like decompression epilogue hybrid. Mm. It's almost like a debrief of the story that you have told. Also there's the physical aspect of putting the game back in the box which I think is not and cool and like you gotta do it anyway. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's on some kindergarten
1: level design shit that's like works so right. I mean, how
0: how many games have you been like? You go to the host's place and they set up all this shit, and you're like, "All right, thanks for the pizza. Gonna catch you later." I really have uh, to go. Put put away this game. Uh, My bane is doing it with Scythe and having people like. I have all the expansions and shit. Scythe might fit on this table, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, it legit takes me probably 15 minutes maybe more we, we to play put gloomhaven oh yeah
1: it is like it is a fuck you experience to not <laughs> help setting up gloomhaven um and so yeah the, just the end of the game like you said that's a really good way of putting it that it's a decompression and debrief um while exploring open questions about you know the story so it makes you engage with it in a um as a reader so like you're playing in the game as a writer and as an actor and so at the end you're kind of asking like just leaving open questions as you would as a viewer yeah it's
0: yeah there is this interesting like meta thing that's happening in the whole gameplay of you're you're wearing so many hats and you get to choose which one you want to wear at any moment uh, of character uh, yeah actor screenwriter director uh, audience so you're engaging with the story in like every potential direction and then because of that you have so much influence over every aspect of how the story works like you'll never be in the audience and being like oh i wish they did that yeah because you're also you just grab the character by the neck and you're like you're gonna do this now (laughs) (laughs) Um, and there is just obviously like the cooperative aspect of it we're all working because we want the story to be good and the characters to right exist in r- yeah. a realish
1: way. Yeah, there's a line but, in the game that's like, your job is to make players or characters' lives complicated and to collaborate with your players, and so like that's. But then there's also the um, cool nature of any co-op
0: story thing where someone's going to come up with some shit you've never thought in your whole brain. You freak out and a genuine cool surprise that changes everything
1: before and after yeah someone goes flip mode on them and it's just like <laughs> gets quantum it, it goes from uh, geometric to trigonomic and they're like oh <laughs> like you brought up like a long walk through hell that one mm-hmm. and that was just like holy shit and then yeah some of the line reads that jason gave are ridiculous and the way that megan was able to like uh, defuse the phantom situation at the end. Like, we ended up not using the super weapon after seeing what it was done. And it was, like, all driven by her, and it was just so fucking cool. Yeah.
0: It was um, a lot of individual player strength becoming the story strength.
1: Yeah, and the, it's not, like, a huge cognitive load either. Like, No, I was really impressed with that function. Yeah. That I never... I,
0: I was never um, even the there's the subjective nature of prompting scenes from these symbols that may or may not mean anything. Yeah. All right. Some of them especially uh, are more abstract than others. Yeah. And if I was tasked with using all six of them, I could foresee that being difficult. But um, again, a thing that I come back to a lot in player psychology is having restriction on. Mm-hmm something because it's so much harder to pull from nothing. So having X cray- a couple crayons and telling you to draw something, um, if you're given a red and green, you're going to draw an apple every time. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're given the 64 crayons with the sharpener on the back, you're just like, uh, I don't know. I could do anything. Oh, where's purple and black? <laughs> um, so it has a nice balance of freedom and structure That really does let you do whatever you want, but it's always informed by the things that are going on and like the leading questions, your groups play, what you've established with the characters who are already around and Mm. the the time bombs that are about to go off and all of it. Um, And it's not like um, accounting, though. I don't have to keep all this information ongoing in my head, partly because all the data is available on the table, which is really awesome and helpful especially inhabiting a character you haven't played at all like three scenes deep they have all this information and you haven't been them but yeah. you like know them.
1: yeah you get like a,
0: a bullet list of things that they did um, that and like uh, having yeah just just freedom and restriction and having so much data available that you can access what you need when you need it mm. makes it so much cozier as a player to not be like, I'm not worried about what I'm gonna do three scenes from now. I'm not struggling to remember what happened three scenes ago. Yeah, I just kind of always have what I need to keep it going. Yeah. And I think that, one, it works to, again, like lighten the cognitive load. But two, lead to the genuine like surprise and joy you get from engaging with a story that's mm-hmm. emerging um, because you're not working so far ahead or it's not about any one person or one character or anything. Everything's always in flux. So to go back to like wearing all the different hats. When you're the audience hat, like it rules school. Yeah. All 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 of the hats are fun, but the yeah. best one is to like watch this thing that <laughs> yeah. everyone made happen. And I think that's always to me that is the gold standard of if a game is good. If the game ends and I look back at it as a viewer of the movie or show or whatever that we just created be like fuck like i would i would <laughs> that, watch was wild. that or that would you know that would be great or when you do like fan casting i don't know if you're yes right on that, you're like, this uh this movie would have been so sick if this person was the lead or whatever <laughs> um,
1: it's like that the polar opposite of like you do a shitty dungeon crawl and you're like we went to like two rooms
0: yeah oh yeah especially uh the, yeah. there's a whole other tangent just like the pre-made like dnd supplement books First party, here's God, your dungeon. Damn. If you don't do it exactly the way it is in the book, then like you
1: don't find the shit. You yeah, and also if you do it exactly the way in the book, you don't like it. It's just <laughs> it's <also> so hyper structured <laughs> that there's yeah. no like.
0: Well, I mean, that's why we make story games, I guess. Like we're yeah. not in in this realm of, but those to me make stories that are memorable and stories that you as a fan of story. Love mm. and like
1: that's a good ass game. Mm. Sounds like you liked it. Game good. You liked it's it. <laughs> I liked it. It's good. Our players liked it. Uh, we're we're about to pack a billion of these in the boxes. <laughs> yep, we have all the boxes,
0: all the playmats, all the cards, all the lanterns. The lan. We didn't talk about that. But the lantern is
1: just like really satisfying it's really fucking good yeah because you fill it with dice and then you slam jam it all over the pentagram
0: it feels good to dunk a dice i earned this shit and it goes in the basket bam! and then it feels good to shake the lantern full of dice it's loud cavernous and like do we want to we can have that noise for people yeah let's uh do some fully uh there's no dice in there
1: i don't know how to assemble the lantern so you do it and i'll get the dice Here's the dunk, dunk. dunk. Here's one. Here's two. Here's a
0: bunch. And here's the shake. Oh, it's probably, it's probably clipping. <laughs> See, it's loud. It's that's a TikTok noise. Just waiting, like Like you know, the bass hits. <laughs>
1: Wait, do it again, and I'll bass boost it and post. Sorry. <laughs> and, and here's a pour
0: are you kidding me are you kidding me with this (laughs) yeah it's really satisfying it's It's obviously aesthetically very pleasing uh to me it's a different breed there's so many sounds and like feelings with it even just holding this box it's full of dice and you
1: get to shake it yeah it feels powerful we're not trying to be an infomercial right now we are just enjoying the thing that we made yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh it's good all of it's good the end. The <laughs> end. Uh, well, that's been another episode of the Brain Trust Podcast. Um, I'm Will. I'm a game designer at uh, will.com. What did I say <laughs> before? It was... Uh, I was will. You, know, you can find me online at will.com. No, no, no. I know that, but I said something at the beginning of the episode. This was one? Like, yeah. That, like, my name is Will. I'm Glendale.
0: Uh, I don't know, but I'm glad that the, the pee-pee dog is barking right now. as so We are almost made it with it no out. no interference. <laughs> um, there's a dog in my building that is so excited every time it gets to go outside to pee and just can't help but bark a shit ton.
1: Adam told me about this dog earlier as we were driving out of Glendale, and he was like, honestly, same. I, have you ever? Have you ever? Have you ever? Just <laughs> had to pee so bad you got to yap? Anyway. Uh, and, uh, no. I've never felt that. I don't pee. Uh, my name's Will. I don't pee. I'm on uh, medical journals all over the U.S., <laughs> especially American Health Magazine Weekly.
0: So. And I'm Adam, and I'm on Twitter, at WC Co. and I'm spinning a whole lot of game plates right now. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, Cobwebs just finished? Cobwebs just finished, and it's... Three Day Weekend is coming up? Three Day Weekend. It comes out this week, on Friday, on my Patreon. Uh, instead of doing a, another Kickstarter, which genuinely would have destroyed me, uh, it is on Patreon. So, Which also means
1: you can get the game for $5, including shipping, just like dirt, dirt yeah. money. Yeah, and then you also get to support Adam. And that's great. Too. He's one of the people that you're <laughs> listening to right now. Imagine listening to this podcast for a whole <laughs> fucking hour, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> it's free. That And it's like the 19th or
0: 20th episode, too. Be like... So you've listened for 20 hours. Do you think we make good shit yet? Yeah. Do you, What do you really think?
1: <laughs> uh, did you fuck up your RSS feed? And this is autoplaying in some <laughs> like, post-apocalyptic situation. Like you are... Okay, roleplay. You're right now underground. And the mole people have <laughs> come up. You switched places. And uh, all you have is RSS feeds. And you're like, I will not listen to Choppo Trap House. What else is there? <laughs> and so you listen to the Brain Trust podcast and... You're happy when they explain what hacking is because you didn't know. And you're <laughs> and happy then you can hack the mole people and get back to your, pl- the, your yeah. planar realm. And we've described
0: LA, so you have these views of sunshine. And There's you... hope. <laughs> we are hope! <laughs> uh, Three day that weekend's mean? coming out. Cobwebs right. is done. Brain Trust is in its state, which is done plus sh- shipping and
1: printing. Yeah. And then uh, we're, we're probably going to uh, switch to a new format soon, which will be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, All good. Brain trust colon, there's hope. hope. Brain trust to a new hope. Hope we can believe in. <laughs> hope we can hope for.
0: Uh, handshake emoji, brain emoji, brain emoji. handshake Fuck. emoji. It's been a while since. Want well, to do a high five on camera?
1: On camera, the <laughs> just do a sub hit when the. get <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't do it while saying anything. Ow! Oh! I stubbed all my <laughs> fingers. <little> too spicy. <laughs>